Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. We're all about producing content where you can be inspired by and learn from amazing female entrepreneurs and leaders to help you achieve and even exceed your career goals. Before we begin this week's episode, though, it would mean a huge amount if you could rate and review our show if you haven't already. Consider it as your kind deed for the day. And we'd love to hear from you. So why not follow us or message us on LinkedIn, mention the podcast and we'll be all ears. And now enjoy this week's episode. Hello and greetings, everyone. Now, this episode today has a few firsts to celebrate. It's our first episode for November. Crazy. Can you believe it's November already? I know, it is mad, and it's just going to be a blur now until we get to Christmas, I think. Time goes so fast. Now, still on firsts, this is also the first time we've had someone who's a chief financial officer on the show. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think it's safe to say that Madeline Ling is no ordinary CFO. Firstly, I don't think we've met a CFO before who values diversity and building relationships the way Madeline does. Secondly, I don't think we've met a leader who's lived and worked in so many countries as she has. And thirdly, I just love the way Madeline talks about how numbers speak to her and how she speaks so articulately about the uh, the stories the numbers can tell. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think even listeners who can feel a bit intimidated by numbers and spreadsheets sometimes will be both fascinated and inspired by how Madeline talks about this aspect of her role. Speaking of roles, Madeline is CFO of US-based Boomi. Boomi is a fast-growing global SaaS, you know, software as a service company, and it's focused on easy software integration, and it's now owned by two blue-chip private equity firms. Madeline's a tech company veteran. She's held multiple CFO roles throughout her 20-plus year career, and she's worked far and wide, including in the US, China, Mexico, Europe, and Thailand. And Thailand is where we first met Madeline and had the opportunity to work with her as our client at Agoda, where we've been running a major women's leadership program for several years. Prior to taking on CFO roles, Madeline spent 12 years consulting, including making it to principal at Boston Consulting Group. She has an MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business, where I think, actually, she was in the same year as some of your friends, wasn't she, Greg? Yeah, it's a small world. We only realized fairly recently, actually, that Madeline was in the same year as three McKinsey buddies of mine. So hi, Tracy, Liana, and Jamie. Now, back to today. In this episode, you'll hear what Madeline learned as an impressionable teenager when she moved to the U.S., not speaking a word of English. I can't imagine how hard that would no. be as a teenager just to kind of be uprooted like that. You'll learn how she thinks about leveraging her differences to add value. You'll learn Madeline's recipe for building awesome working relationships and 
the two questions she asks herself before changing roles or companies. In short, this is a fabulous conversation and we think you'll really be inspired by the thoughtful and articulate Madeline Ling. Well, Madeline Ling, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you very much, Greta. Nice to see you again and talk to you. Uh, we are so excited to have you on the show, Madeline. And do you know what? We're even more excited because you're actually our very first CFO or Chief Financial Officer to have on the show. And I think that's our bad, Claire, that we haven't had one someone with that skill set on before. So we're really excited to talk well, to you today. Uh, I, but also there's nobody like Madeline. That's true. You are unique. <laughs> Well, pioneering Madeline. Well, I mean, I'm flattered. So thank you very much. Uh, it's certainly helpful to to know some context. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me here. No, it's really our pleasure. And um, a question we ask all of our guests right at the beginning is, if you met someone for the first time at a dinner party and they asked you, hey, Madeline, so what do you do? You know, how do you answer them briefly? Well, I think it probably depends on what kind of dinner party. But in general, my answer would be, I love numbers. I do my job by swimming in numbers and making decisions based on what numbers suggest. And then hopefully that'll lead to something more interesting. But I don't usually introduce my title. I find title quite boring in a dinner party. And I think, you know, having something that people can build on usually is a good way to start. Yeah. And I imagine... Uh, a lot of people must express surprise, you know, that old cliche, women aren't good with numbers and math. So I bet you get quite a few comments like that. <laughs> do you? I do. Um, I think what usually people say is, what do you mean? What kind of numbers? And then that really leads to something else. If the numbers could be related to obviously a business financial journal, or it could very well be related to how do you bake? You need 100 grams of flour, 100 grams of sugar. It really depends on the person's interest. I can take the conversation wherever it makes sense. And I, I usually enjoy being flexible and customizing the conversation based on the person I talk to. I love that. I love that. And when you described yourself as you love swimming in numbers, that created such a, an image. How does that actually play out for you? Do you sit there when you're kind of doing quarter end and imagine yourself swimming in numbers? Well, so I think I do have a very special relationship with numbers. And in a way, it's both a blessing as well as potentially a curse because certain numbers just tend to stay with me. And so, you know, for example, I can still remember the first phone number that we had when I was two and a half years old in Taiwan. I can still memorize my uh, ID number and my national ID number in Taiwan when I left when I was only 16 years old. And so there are just certain numbers that come to me. You know, they visit me like an old friend after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, they just, just never leave. But I will say most of the imagery when it comes to swim, swimming in numbers is I really do enjoy studying people's financial statements. So I, I would take a financial statement. Somebody gives me a spreadsheet of the P&L of the balance sheet. And it literally is just call it three different spreadsheets. But I could swim in those numbers for hours on end and I could write a 30 page document out of it, analyzing the number, wow. telling what the numbers mean, particularly enjoy studying the shape of the P&L, because I do think every business has different value drivers. And there's just so many interesting things hidden in the numbers that I just find myself very fortunate to be able to enjoy swimming in them. 
I love yeah. the way that you depict that. It's unusual for somebody to talk about numbers in that way, but it, it's it's so true, isn't it? It's actually sounds like it's quite a creative process for you. I, I do like the creative aspect of it. I, I like spotting patterns between the numbers and particularly making projections based on what the numbers suggest. And I like uh, reading in between the numbers to identify something qualitative. For example, would you agree that by looking at the PL of a company, I could hypothesize which departments are the most powerful from a power dynamics perspective, because they bring in the either the top line, they bring in the value, or that a company's profitability depends on them. There really is quite a lot of interesting stories you can tell from them. Yeah, fantastic. And you know, earlier in your career, you spent about 11 years in consulting roles. Is there a story about how you actually then move from consulting into being a, a chief financial officer? Well, I, I would say that I'm probably not the most focused in terms of knowing exactly what I want when I started my career. So I have had very, very much a, quite a lot of different crossroads in my career. And every time I'm at that crossroad, I always ask myself two questions. If I were given two or three different paths, which path would I choose that would teach me the most, that would allow me to learn the most and develop the most as a person? Question one. And question number two is, which path would I be able to add the most value? You know, do I have what it takes to bring impact for the situation I'm about to be in? And so whenever I have a good set of answers for those two questions, I tend to be very enticed to sometimes making a move that perhaps could be a little bit unexpected. Going back in my career, I started in finance. I, I did Intel Finance for four years. Um, after getting my MBA, I spent the next 11 years in consulting, as you mentioned, included you know, strategy, traditional strategy, implementing strategy, and later on also doing operational turnaround work. And then about seven years ago, I found myself at another pretty important crossroad in my mind. At this point in time, I had quite a lot of experience in both finance as well as strategy. And I've actually gotten pretty deep operationally, you know, turning around companies, driving value creation work. And at this point in time, I asked myself again, what is the next role for me to bring all these skills and all these learnings to the best use? Where could I go so that I could use my numbers, right? I've always loved numbers, but I could also use my strategy and my operational skills to bring the most value And at this point in time, the concept of strategic CFO was pretty prevalent, I think, in the market. I realized that, hey, wait a minute, I know finance, I know strategy, and I know operations. So maybe I could put myself forward as a strategic CFO. And before I knew it, it turned out to be the best fit ever. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you've you've had a truly international career. I think, you you know, you've worked in Shanghai and Palo Alto and Beijing and... Washington, D.C., and now you're in Boston. Bangkok, of course. And Bangkok, of course, which is, <laughs> is where we met you. Was that by design or has it just happened? I don't think I designed my career that way in advance. I do think it had a lot to do with my upbringing. I mentioned a little bit that, you know, I'm ethnic Chinese. I was born uh, in Myanmar, Southeast Asia. And when I was a child, when I was two years old, we moved to Taiwan where I grew up. And so by the time, and then when I was 16, we moved to the U.S. So by the time I was in high school, I had already lived in multiple countries. The the experience of moving from one country to another didn't come easy. 
particularly the when I moved during high school, you know, I was 16 at the time. So that particular move, if you imagine you're in the middle of your high school and you had your whole life sort of sorted out ahead of you, and suddenly you're uprooted to a different place, it really derailed my entire life. You know, I found myself not being able to speak the language, not knowing the culture. And, you know, at some point in time, it did feel like, why did I do this? Why did my family do this? But, but what I think what it taught me, though, was to stay resilient, to build the perseverance, to build the grit. And I do think that it had actually made me feel okay with um, changes that happen in life. And at some point in time, it became something that I embraced. So to answer your question, it's not by design, but you know, I couldn't seem to uh, stop myself from being intrigued by the next great opportunity. I think also, you know, from what you're saying, that initial experience when you were 16 years old and you moved to America without any language, any friends, any network. And that would be so huge in your life. So huge. And I guess coming through that as well as you did, I mean, I'm sure it was very painful and difficult. It must mean that actually the risk of moving overseas is a lot less because you know you've done it that's right and so yeah so you must must be more open than most I would imagine and I think it says a lot about Madeline's character though too Claire that you know there you were Madeline you kind of lost everything when you landed in the U.S. Um, and to be able to come through that and then feel confident and more confident shows that you were able to frame it even at that kind of young sort of quite vulnerable age in some ways in a constructive way versus, you know, carry sort of resentment against your parents and actually mm. feel like a victim. You, so that's fantastic that that's how, you know, that evolved for you. Yeah. Actually, that's interesting because how do you think that that experience has sort of, I know you've talked about resilience and things, but in terms of your mindset, how has it changed your mindset? Tremendously. Greta, you made a really, really good point and very well and eloquently said. When I think about my career, when people ask me about learnings, whenever I'm presented a problem in front of me, I do tend to not spend too much time agonizing or victimizing, feeling that, why did this happen to me? But I immediately turn my mind into a problem-solving mode. What do I need to do to build myself out of the situation? What are the opportunities that are in front of us if we can get out of this? And I, this, this is not just about my career, by the way. This is about the teams that I lead and the fortunate opportunities that I've been presented to me where I could help build the financing. um, I could help putting structures and make sure that, that we mature and we modernize ourselves as a team. This is very much about transformation in general, transforming myself, transforming the team. I do think in general, people tend to underestimate their potential. I'm certainly still going through a lot of learning myself I would say that most people probably don't push themselves outside of the comfort zone enough. And I do think if you are comfortable with the uncomfortable, you grow and you achieve new heights. There's a book I'm sure you guys have, you you both have read called The Growth Mindset by Dr. Kara Dweck. Yeah. Yeah. I love that book. I really do embrace the concept of growth mindset. It's very liberating. And I do believe wholeheartedly that you're never too old to push yourself, to learn and to achieve new heights. Yeah, yeah. No, we're big fans of Carol Dweck's work. You talked about the, all the different places you've worked in and I'm really curious, how would you summarize if you've noticed cultural differences from country to country? 
you've got such an interesting perspective, I'm sure, having worked in the variety of places. Yeah. So I think, you know, having been raised in Asia and and moving over to the U.S. when I was in my high school years and learning to not just learn the language, but also learn the culture. One very obvious difference is that my cultural upbringing doesn't quite automatically fit into the corporate America culture. What I mean by that is, you know, in the Asian culture, you're taught to not speak up. You're taught to be differential to your senior people. And in the U.S., it's quite the opposite, right? So if you're sitting there and not speaking up, people didn't think that you're contributing. So I I do think having, you know, been raised um, in the Asian environment and spending a lot of time in the U.S., I am now a lot more cognizant of the cultural differences and how I interact with different people no matter what their background is. I do think innovations come from diversity and inclusion. I enjoy learning from interesting, curious people who have very different set of backgrounds, a different set of styles, but I do make an effort to understand that people on my team, you know, if they happen to have different upbringing, if they're not speaking up, perhaps that doesn't mean that they don't actually have an opinion. Perhaps there are reasons why they're not speaking up. So I would try to accommodate and invite their voices because I do think that we we build better teams when everyone feels comfortable, when you bring diverse people together and they have different ideas and they all feel comfortable with that they can thrive. I'm very passionate about it. Like I said, I'm a CFO, so I do worry a lot about return on investments or I, I, I love projects that return high ROI. And I definitely think diversity and inclusion is one of those initiatives that bring a lot of ROI to the company. It just makes business sense. And I think having, you know, been kind of immersed in two different cultures, I have the privilege to to understand the intricacy and I I try to contribute my best to make sure different people can succeed and feel comfortable in the work environment. And I guess we are firsthand testimony to your passionate belief in the value of diversity and inclusion because we met because a CFO at the... uh, Bangkok-based global company, Agoda, you were passionate about having more women in senior leadership roles and you brought Claire and I in and our company, Full Potential Labs, and we've been running year-long women's leadership programs there ever since, thanks to you and to your beliefs and passions for D&I. Well, thanks to your good work. You ladies really impressed us. I mean, I remember you standing out specifically from a long list of competition and we were so glad we went with you because I think the Agoda women have benefited from your experience and the program you designed for them. So super appreciative for that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, shucks. Thank you. Well, still on diversity and inclusion, you've been in some pretty male-dominated environments. What's your advice to women who perhaps aren't sure whether climbing the ranks to a senior or C-level role, whether it's in a tech company or otherwise, is right for them. What advice would you have? I'm not sure I'm in the best position to give advice because I'm still trying to figure it out. But I will say that (laughs) part of the most important thing is to trust yourself. I can relate to many, many examples in my career where um, I'm not the loudest person in the room. In fact, you know, when we used to go back to the office, I'm probably the smallest person. I don't carry the around the air in the room. 
So my advice would be just, first of all, understand that you're different and it's okay to be different. Different people make the workplace more interesting and different people bring different ideas. So I do think step one is just to recognize that you may be different and that is okay. And step number two then is to think about how your differences might become your advantage. I'll name one example. I enjoy building relationships and I don't think that's a unique aspect. You know, I think a lot of women tend to enjoy building relationships as well. And if you think about doing any work, any job in general, it comes down to people relationships. If you build great relationships with people, they like working with you and they're more likely to open up with you. They're more likely to trust you. And I would venture to say that building trust with people is the most important foundation when you build teams, when you lead. As you think about leadership position, I think you know, women can definitely think about that as an advantage. I'm good at building relationships. I want to build trust with my team, and that's how I'm able to lead them more effectively. So I do think that there are different elements of it that women should should not undersell ourselves, and particularly think about the differences that could become advantages in an intense environment. I, I will say one thing, though. What has helped me is looking for an environment where diversity and inclusion is celebrated. And here I have to put in a plug because I do feel very passionate about Boomi, the company that I currently work at, in our executive leadership team, closer to 50% are women. You know, in a fast-growing SaaS company, um, backed by two significant private equity firms, this doesn't happen often. I will tell you that that creates a very unique culture. First of all, I just think diversity and inclusion is amazing. You know, when the head of sales is a woman and when the head of marketing is a woman, And when those two are the relationships most critical to me to do my work, because I run finance and I want to make sure that we bring in top line in and manage the bottom line at the same time, it creates a very different dynamic. I have no problem building relationships with them. I very much enjoy the support group. I think about them as my support group. And there are other, you know, our chief HR officer is also a woman. So when you have a different room, it does create a very welcoming, unique culture. Um, I certainly don't think that every company has a luxury at the moment, but I don't think we should stop trying. I think women should try to bring other people along with them so that we can have a better represented executive leadership team or perhaps even in the boardroom. That's fantastic. And you joined Boomi just you know, this year. We'd love to hear just very briefly what it does. But also, was this diversity feature a real draw card for you in making the decision? Absolutely. I think, you know, as a CFO, the first thing I always look at is the company's financials, right? Yeah. And the product and, and whether or not I'm excited about it. So Boomi is a SaaS company, 100% born in the cloud, um, a leader in an integration platform as a service. So for eight years in a row, Garners has rated Boomi as a leader in the magic quadrant. The way how I came to know Boomi, though, was even as the CFO of a previous company, uh, the company I was with had hundreds of SaaS applications. And for every application that we adopt, we have to build the connections. So Boomi actually came to mind um, even earlier on because its integration platform has, you know, a company that has been doing integration for 20 years. Part of the reason is I already knew the Boomi product. I evaluated the Boomi product to see if I, I could adopt it for my last company because we had so many financial systems that I wanted to make sure that they talk to each other and the data flows as, as seamlessly as possible. 
But the other part is absolutely about, you know, looking at Boomi and looking at the CEO being very focused on diversity and, and looking at all the grassroots efforts. It, it became clear to me that not only do I love the product, do I love the shape of the PL, but I also love the fact that both of the investors and the the CEO are big on diversity. Absolutely a draw. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's a great fit and an exciting business given, yeah, the number of businesses just trying to make sense of their spaghetti of software and applications okay. and things. <laughs> Absolutely. Classic. You know, we know you work hard. How do you think about work-life balance and sort of lasting the distance? I would say that I'm not the best role model so far to be 100% transparent, but I do try to work on it every day. The one thing I, I do that I'm particularly proud of, my kids will probably tell you otherwise, is <laughs> I make sure that we spend time together studying Chinese every weekend. You know, I think having the advantage of being multilingual has definitely helped me. It, it doesn't just help in terms of doing business, you know, doing cross-border business, but it really helps you with a better understanding about cultural differences and understanding social norms and what they mean, what they don't mean. So it's always been a goal of mine to make sure my kids learn Chinese and it's it's pulling teeth for them. They don't like it, um, but I created an environment where it's family time. So this, this is what we do. Every Sunday, the, the girls have to go to Chinese school for three hours and mom and dad, so my husband and I take them there. And then afterwards, we would um, go to the park or do some family uh, picnic, do something together. As much as they hate Chinese, you know, it, it's a way I, I try to cover two very important objectives. One is spend quality time with them together, reinforcing them about the cultural upbringing that their parents had because they didn't have the benefit to really experience that. And more importantly, creating something very important for them, which is a, a skill, a multilingual skill. And hopefully having lived in so many countries in the past that they're also a little bit more sensitive as global citizens. We'll see how they turn out. But so far, you know, with brute force, we've made the Chinese time to be a little bit more enjoyable, less less painful because it's family time. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure when they look back, they'll thank you for that. I remember we went out for dinner in Bangkok and right. you were telling us about your baking. Oh, right. <laughs> are you still baking? This is the question. And, and are you using it to sort of de-stress still? Absolutely. I definitely still bake. You're absolutely right. It's when I de-stress and when I work on different parts of my brain. As much as I love numbers, there are times I, I don't want to think about numbers. I want to do something creative. Yes, I do still bake as much as possible. I, you know, We live in New England now, and it's amazing on a cold winter day how something fresh out of the oven, that aroma, not only it fills up the room and makes the room really, really cozy, but to me, that's the aroma of family. Again, I'm trying to create memories at the same time distressing myself. That's how I feel about it. it. <laughs> okay, today is Friday for you, Saturday for us. What are you thinking you're going to bake tomorrow? <laughs> so Bring I, it to life. Well, so I, I've been baking um, chiffon cake. You know, it's a Japanese recipe where you don't use any rising agent. So you beat the egg white until it becomes meringue. And then um, ah. you make sure that you bake and then you turn it upside down for two hours and you decorate it. The whole process could take anywhere from three to four hours. Um, and the decoration is the part that my girls can help me as well. Uh, so I'm thinking about a uh, mandarin orange uh, chiffon cake with uh, whipped cream and some strawberry, fresh strawberries on top. Whoa. That sounds delicious. <laughs> okay. Everyone is now officially drooling. 
<laughs> us included. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, I really love it. Yeah. You know, are there any kind of key habits or practices or even mantras you say to yourself, you know, that you would attribute to your sort of being key to your success today? I, I try to look at the positive things, but when I look at, you know, when, when there are issues, when there are problems, I look at them as opportunities. I also generally tell myself that I am proud to be a wholesome individual. I think this is an important concept. I don't think about myself as a CFO. It actually, it's a very interesting concept because when people ask me who I am, I don't usually, like I said, I don't talk about my title when I meet someone at a dinner table, but I really would prefer to be known as my kid's mom than my title. And I do think about myself as having different interests outside of work. I work hard, but I also try to develop other interests on the side and to make sure that I am a you know, holistic person. So when it comes to work, right, um, I think it's important to stay grounded about, you know, what defines you? My values define me, my, my family support defines me, but my work does not define me. And has that always been the case or is that a lesson you've had to learn? I, I, I definitely think it's something I learned over time. You know, when you're early in your career, everything seemed to matter so much. Every career path you take, you wonder if this is the right path. And if every mistake you make early on in your career seemed like the biggest thing. But as you accumulate more experiences, you look at the big picture, you know, making mistakes, as long as they're not fatal, tends to be the best way to learn and to develop as long as you learn not to make the same mistake again. You know, if you never make a mistake in your life, then perhaps you haven't taken enough risks. So I do think that, when you get further along in your career, you build that confidence to say, I've got this. You know, I may not know the answers to everything, but I've got what it takes to do the job. You tell yourself that there are opportunities to create value and you don't think about anything else. You don't think about this as, you know, a life or death moment. At the end of the day, <laughs> work is work. It's not life or death moments. And I think who we are is a lot more than our work. Yeah, absolutely. And Madeline, What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I had an executive coach uh, many, many years ago. And once she asked me a question, she said, if you're trying to build a relationship with someone, you need to make them like you. So what do you think makes someone else like you? And it was interesting because I answered, well, it's because I do good work. It's because I add value. She said, well, yes and no. People like you because you make them feel great. And that was such an amazing piece of advice. You know, if you unpack that, there's so many things underneath it. You know, obviously, if you add value, people appreciate you. But people really like you because they enjoy spending time with you because when they're with you, they feel great about themselves. And, you know, as a consultant early on in my career, when I received that advice, it really made a huge difference. You know, it makes me do my work thinking about putting my client in the front as the hero and that I'm the enabler. I'm OK with that. I've never really had an ego problem, to be honest. So I don't think it's, it's about that. But I, it does change your mindset about, oh, why didn't I think about that? So when you meet someone for the very first time, you want the person to enjoy the five minutes or 10 minutes that you spoke together and you want that moment to be memorable. I don't think the people I work with always think about things this way. I do think people mm. sometimes don't put themselves in other people's shoes uh, well enough. And, and that's not exactly 
conducive for relationship building. So for me, it's been a big lesson for me. You know, some people might be sitting here thinking that totally makes sense. But in practice, does that is that not just really energetically draining if you're having to think about that all the time? How, how do you do it in practice? How I do it in practice in general is particularly starting with the first meetings that you have with someone. So you're meeting someone new for the very first time. That's actually relatively easier because you ask them questions, right? So how, how this manifests itself in the way how I operate is I ask more questions than I do telling, particularly when you meet someone for the very first time, you try to find something that you have in common. And when you get to know each other a little bit further, there will be times that you have different views. There will be times that there's uh, a conflict because you may believe in things differently, but hopefully by this time you build a relationship so that you can be a little bit more direct and say something along the lines of, I understand, you know, I could imagine if I were to put myself in your shoes, I might imagine this. There might be a reason why you're upset because you believe things should work in a certain way. Here's my perspective you care to hear. I do think making statements around showing that you're, you're empathetic to the other person helps draw you closer together. So, so to me, it's, uh, it's something that you, you spend time building that trust in the beginning. You know, what? it's so refreshing to hear that in, you know, in the corporate world that that's the lens that you're coming with. Just providing a different voice. Yeah, absolutely. Madeline, thank you so much. It's been such a fascinating conversation and so wonderful to reconnect with you. If our listeners wanted to find out more about Boomi, where would they go? I would love them to check out our website, www.boomi.com. Again, thank you so much, Madeline. Such a joy. Yeah, it's been really great to get to know you in a whole different way. Thank you so much for inviting me to this talk. And it was so nice to reconnect with both of you. It brings back the old memories and the fond memories. So thank you. Madeline is so refreshing as a CFO. You know, she totally breaks the stereotype that I have at least of a numbers person who can struggle with the human side of work. She's the absolute opposite of that, isn't she? Yeah, you're so right. I I love how she's also determined to see her identity as much broader than her job or a career. I think that's so important for all of us, but it can be quite challenging to do, especially since work can take up so much of our time. It can, it can, definitely. I also love the advice Madeline was given about building relationships and having a really positive first experience with people. You know, that notion of making the other person feel great. It's so powerful and simple. And yet, you know, it's not something you hear talked about or shared that much, is it? No, it's not. And But it is true. It And it is simple, but it can make such a big difference. Yeah, it really can. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode where we have a fascinating discussion with a neuroscientist and passionate advocate for brain health to improve our daily lives. It's a really fascinating topic. In the meantime, have a great week or two. Stay safe, stay positive and ciao for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 